be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Please reach into my life. Uh, what the heck? Uh, can't see clearly had a lot of people tell me that they don't believe in God and if I visit with them even for just a little bit what they really want to tell me is they're mad at God and when you're mad at God you just can't see clearly have you ever gotten in an argument and wondered do I even believe what I'm saying right now you're just so mad Henry Nowen writes, within churches, there are as many opinions and as many visions as outside the church. There's no virtue that is not called sin somewhere else. And no particular sin that is not called a virtue somewhere else. Within a mile of each other, within just one mile of each other, people say and think diametrically opposed things live diametrically opposed lives, and act in diametrically opposed ways. Now, there is an enormous freedom, friends, to choose your own way, your own way of thinking, your own way of talking, your own way of acting. God gives you that choice. But whatever your choice, someone will praise you and someone will blame you. But most likely, very few will intervene in your life. You and I, we have a frightening freedom to choose. You get to choose. And how do we choose rightly? 
How do we choose what is good, what is true, what is noble, what is life-giving? Well, let's be clear. It takes effort, and it takes one another. Wise people don't choose alone. That's why we have one another. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the senior founding pastor here at Acts 2, and I'm so glad to be with you today. And we are working on, together on one of the most important things in our faith life, and that is... Seeing 2020, that's our sermon series for January. And today, uh, we get to the part of the story here in just a little bit with Jonah, where he hits rock bottom. Will you say that with me? Rock bottom. And sometimes you just got to get there before you can do anything else. And um, if you thought, wasn't that the scripture we used last week? Yes, it was. We'll use it again next week, and we'll use it again the week after that. Um, because it's worth committing to memory, it's, it's worth living our lives by. We want to be a part of everything bright and beautiful that God is doing. But in order to do that, we have to answer a few questions. How do we discern truth from falsehood? How do we know what's real? How do we know what's true? How do we know what is of God and what is not of God? What is of darkness or evil? What is God's will? Well, first of all, We want to make sure that we're not so mad at God or so mad at others that we can't see straight. You ever know that old phrase? They're so mad they can't even see straight. It's true. That's a real thing, friends. We see most clearly in the peace of Christ and the love of Jesus. That's where you can see clearly. You want to make decisions from that place of calm You don't want it to be rushed. You certainly don't want to be pushed. You want to make decisions in the peace and love of God. So, if you have your sermon notes, let's take those out and we'll get started. Um, I think it's absolutely true. Uh, I love Bruce Almighty. Uh, This is about midway through the the movie and he is clearly mad at God. You know why? Because God's not giving him what he wants. I bet he's the only person that that's ever happened to. Well, maybe not. Right? Right? But but that's the whole thing. When we're trying to get God on our agenda, we're going to be upset. We just are. So when you're mad at God, you cannot see clearly. You just can't. And here's, here's the thing they say about people. Do you know how to know if somebody likes you? About 80 plus percent of the time, sociologists will tell you, the people that like you are the people that you like. It's really that simple. So if you want to know if somebody likes you, you got to ask yourself, do I like them? And if you really like them, chances are they like you back. Some of you don't like very many people. (laughs) But here's the thing. God's not mad at you. He's not. You can even be mad at him, but he's not mad at you. Now, I know this isn't nice, but, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, don't provoke your kids to anger. And as, as, a, as a guy, as a dude, sometimes it's just hard not to. Because they're just so darn cute when they're mad at you. You know, your little kids, you know, when they're little, they're like, I hate you, Dad. You're like, well, I love you. I'm going to give you some kisses. You chase them around, you know. That, that's how God is. God is not mad at you. You can be as mad as you want to be at God, but God's not mad at you. He loves you. He loves you. For God so loved the world. What's the key word? Loved. He loves you. He loves everybody on the planet. That he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not, what? 
No, he doesn't want anybody to perish, no, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be, say it with me, saved through him. That's who God is. You may be mad at God, but God's not mad at you. And I would encourage you to talk to him about it. God's very big and super old. He's probably heard it before. You're not going to surprise him. I mean, if you say, God, I'm really mad at you about this. You imagine God up going upstairs like, oh, I never saw that coming. No, God knows what you're going through. He loves you. He wants to care for you. So the key point is that God loves you. God's not mad at you. Now, again, we're going to come back to this from last week. Our problem with this truth is that we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. And so when we're upset, the world is upset. When we're turned upside down, our world seems upside down because we, we really focus on ourselves way too much, which is why God continues to ask us to take our eyes from our problems and our world and lift them to heaven. Set your mind on things above, Paul writes. Now, when we come to truth, and I think this is super important, um, we've come um, into postmodernity in a way where truth is uh, getting messed with. Uh, fake news, fake videos, uh, fake faces on other people's bodies, fake words. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to know um, what you're seeing and who to trust. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's an astrophysicist, he's, uh, he claims not to be a person of faith, but he says there are three categories of truth. And I, and I think he's right about this. There's personal truth, and it's okay for us to have different personal truths. That's fine. And there's political truth. Um, and certainly, it doesn't take long around the Thanksgiving or Christmas table to know where that's at. Um, and people will hold to their political truth, and it doesn't really matter what the facts are. They just hold to that political truth. Uh, but then he says there's a third one, which is objective truth. And that shapes our understanding of the universe. And, and the interesting thing about an objective truth is that it's true no matter what. Imagine that. Imagine that. You can choose to believe or not believe in gravity, but it's not going to change the outcome if you jump off a building. There are objective truths that are real whether you believe in them or not. And so he says we get data which can provide knowledge, which can lead to wisdom, and that's what we're looking for, friends. We're looking for wisdom. And you won't find wisdom using your Google search engine. Do you know why? Because we are all susceptible to confirmation bias. And when you use a search engine that already knows what you're looking for, right, because they've got your cookies, they've got your past history, when you search for something, they simply give you what they know you already want to find out. So you cannot teach yourself on a search engine. You will simply be told what you want to hear in the first place. So you have to look for objective truth. Because when you enter into a search engine, you are the epitome of confirmation bias. So we need to go outside the normal modernity sources of, of what people are looking for in truth. Does that make sense? Because if you're leaning one way politically, you're going to get the things that confirm what you already believe. If you're leaning the other way, same thing's true there. Um, it's amazing. Um, if I search for something outside of scriptures, it's really hard for me to find it. I say, I want to search for John. It gives me all the scriptures in John. <laughs> right? That's, that's because that's when I'm working and that's what I'm searching for. That, that's what you get. You get a whole bunch of gospel of John. Now, this is not from the Bible. This is just Mark 101. This is just something that's true for me, and I wanted to share it with you because I think it might help you. When someone says, trust me, don't trust them. That's just me. 
But if they need to say, trust me on this, absolutely do not trust them on that. Right? Because their life, their words, their actions should be such where you don't have to wonder whether you should trust them or not. And if they're having to double down to try to get you to trust them, just don't. Right? Just watch and wait, and you'll see who they are over time. Isn't that true? So, um, I don't like it when people push me, and I don't like it when people say, trust me. Because if it's something the Lord wants me to do, I'll know it in his time, and it'll be clear and in peace. Does that make sense? So, anyway. I, I, think, I think that's pretty good advice. But it's not in the Bible, so I just want to make that clear. I don't think. If you find it, tell me. I'll use it next time. So when it comes to truth, what is, what is real truth? Well, God himself says, as Jesus, I am the way, the, say it with me, truth, and the life. Now, this is great news for us. It's really great news uh, for those who are worried about the argument between science and God. Science will lead you to God if you stick with it long enough because Jesus is all truth. So, you don't, you don't have to, so if you find truth, just hang there. Now, if the world doesn't know that that's Jesus yet, that's fine. But Jesus says, I am the truth, right? The way, the truth, and the life. This is what, that's what he says in the Gospel of John. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, right, you really know him, you will know my Father also because the Father and Jesus are one. For now on, you do know him. You've seen him. So if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. That's why he came. That's what our faith is, is based on, is that you know that we have a good and loving and merciful God that would give his very life for you because of the person of Jesus. And that's the truth about God. Now, somehow, from those 2,000 plus years ago to today, people have turned our faith life not into this beautiful love story of God for humanity, but some sort of weird national treasures that if you hold your face just right and you go to you know, some national monument, you might find the real scoop about God. Right? If you read every third word in the letter of Revelation backwards, you'll, you'll know when the world's going to end. I mean, just crazy stuff. No, friends. Jesus came so that you would not and could not miss the will of God. Because people had so many different ideas about who God was. Was God like Mars? Was God like Zeus? Was God like Neptune? Was, was God the one making the waves um, you know, roll over people or hurricanes or this or that or the other? I mean, they had lots and lots of ideas about fires and floods and all the sorts of things of what God was. And, and there's some good reason for that. Um, it's very confusing at times. <clears throat> but Jesus comes to say, this is what God is like. I love you even if you're mad at me. And a lot of times, churches have, have even taken this great gospel good news message for all the world and boiled it down to how to stay out of hell, which I think is just malpractice in what we're here to do. Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, hell is not an oops. Will you say that with me? Hell is not an oops. Which, you know, if you're 16 years old and you just learn to drive and you think, oh man, I'm, I'm about to have a wreck and if I say a bad word right before I die, I'm going to go to hell. No, it doesn't work like that. Don't cuss, it doesn't help. But, but here's the thing, hell's not an oops. God has come to be with us and you have to work really hard to get away from God. You can't do it, by the way. But God loves you and God loves everybody that you know. Hell is not an oops or a slip One does not miss heaven by a hair, but by constant effort to avoid and escape God. 
Hell is the absence of God. The absence of light and life and love. But people aren't surprised that they're there. And so we, we can ask ourselves some, some difficult questions. If today you don't really have any want to or desire to be in a relationship with God, what makes you think that you will after you die? And the thing about heaven is you can't escape God there. Because heaven is the place where everything that God wants done is done perfectly all the time. His name is lifted up. He is praised. There's no hierarchy between people. There's no greater than or less than. All are welcome at his table. Everybody that you're angry with, if they are willing to follow Jesus, they'll be there too. You'll have to figure out how to live with them. This is really important stuff. But we don't, we don't just, oops, we're in, we're in hell. That doesn't work like that. But the question you have to ask yourself today is, am I working myself towards heaven or towards hell? Do I want to be about the things of God and work with God and the things that God's doing, or do I not? And those are really important questions. But never, 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 never mistake your own will for God's will, because God's desire is that none should perish. God's will is that every person on the planet would come to know him in a close and loving relationship. This is my favorite scripture in all the Bible. I know it's kind of random because it's at the very end and it's tiny, but I love uh, the Apostle Peter, and I love what he says in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, The Lord God is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but he is patient with you. He's patient with all the world. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That's God's will. Not one. Not one. Not you, not anybody that you know, but all to come to what? Repentance. And around here we know that repentance is to turn our life towards God. To turn our life towards God. To be about the things that he's doing. That's who God is. Now how do we do this? How do we discern between truth and falsehood? Between light and darkness? One of the things uh, is that we can spend a lot of time on that is really just spinning our wheels is behavior modification. Now behavior modification is important. And, and and if you need to do that, please do. Go see a really good therapist that will help you on that. But that's not what church is about. That's not, and that's not what life in Christ is about. Now, if you have a close relationship with Christ, oftentimes your behaviors will change. Don't get me wrong. But we're not going to Christ in order to change our behaviors. Does, does that make sense? And, and I, know, I know this is, seem, might be very odd to you. But here's the thing. Every addiction, every problem, every AA group, NA group, SA group, uh, OA group, all those groups start with self-rejection. Okay? And whatever addiction comes out of that is about your self-rejection. It's about places when you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired. It comes out of places that say you're no good, you're worthless, you're useless. Why did I do that again? Why can't I do better? Those feelings drive you either to God or to some other self-soothing mechanism. It's not about the mechanism itself. And you can change that. That's why Jesus says, actually, you can cast out all these demons that you want, but if you don't fill that in with something else, you're going to have seven more worse than the last one. So if you stop drinking, you can start doing something else. That's why when you fast, you've got to fast from all of it. Otherwise, you'll just trip from one to the other. So here's the thing, and Henry Nouwen is exactly right about this. He says he thinks the, the core problem, the core sin, the core separation is we don't believe what God says about us. That's about self-rejection. And so I want you to be really clear, particularly for our young people. When you hear someone say, or you hear in your own voice, you are worth less. That is not God. 
That is not God. When God says, I, when, you, when you think you hear God say, I can't use you, that's not God. You will not find a single biblical character in the, in the entirety of the 66 books where God does not reach down and use somebody right where they are. David, Gideon, Moses, I mean, pick it, Mary, Joseph, Hannah, Anna, Elizabeth. God never says that you're a nobody. God goes to the nobodies, the shepherds, the woman at the well, the children, and he lifts them up. So whenever you hear this stuff, whenever that's in your head, whenever somebody uh, says that to you at school or at your work uh, or online, no, 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 that, that is not true, and it is not of God. And you ought to stay away from it. Really, for your own health and betterment, the betterment of the world. Stay away from it. Because what God says is that you are wonderfully made. What does God say about you? That you are, say it with me, wonderfully made. That's who you are. That's what it says in Psalm 139. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm so grateful for Megan for teaching our kids this. They, they, they need to know this. this is the most important thing. They are beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God. We know this very well. God says that you are my beloved. Not hated, not worthless, not useless, not a nobody. You are my beloved. The ones that God loves, that Jesus would give his life for. You are loved, friends. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Ah, there it is. No. You can't believe everything you read online. You can't believe everything you hear in your own home. Don't believe it. Not everything is from God. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Still true. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. And then this is love. Not, not about us. Not that we loved God so well. But he loved you. He loved us right where we are. And sent Jesus, his only son, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And beloved, beloved, just hear over and over again, beloved. Since God loved us so much, we also ought to, what? Read it with me. Love one another. That's our job. Straight from the scriptures. Because that's who God is. Now, it is amazing to me that people in Jesus' name under his banner, under his very name, would have the audacity to say anything less than that. I love the way Dallas Willard put it uh, to me back in 09. He simply said this, God is not a mumbling trickster. God loves you. He sent himself in the person of Jesus. He did everything he could do that you would know his love for you. His will is not a mystery. It is that you are loved. And because you are loved, you are to love others. It is that simple. Not easy, but it is that simple. And so when we come to this thing about, well, what's God's will? What do I do? Is that it? Do I not do that? Friends, most of the time I talk to people who can't decide about God's will, it's because they don't want to hear it. It's not because you don't know it. You're either mad at them or it's going against your own agenda. The sooner we own that, the freer we are. We can just run and beauty in life itself in this life and the next. So when you're in these conversations, when you're looking for your life, look for clarity and for transparency. Again, if you do a study on how to tell if someone's lying to you, uh, most of the time it, you'll say, well, well, where were you, son, that brought you in a, an hour late? 
Now, whatever happens next is a truth or a lie. And the longer the story, the bigger the lie. Right? You're looking for clarity about where your children are and what they're doing. And you're looking for transparency. Right? God's will is not some deep mystery. It's as clear as the cross behind me. That's why we keep it there. Henry Nouwen says, The transparent life is a life in which our hearts, our minds, and our very guts are united in choosing the light. And again, uh, not necessarily biblically, but, but certainly um, psychology and sociology would, would teach us that um, if you really just don't know what to do in a given situation and you do need to decide in a hurry, just go with your gut. Just go with your gut. God has made us in such a way where more often than not, we know what to do even before we really know why we know what to do. I mean, there's just something in us like, run, get out of here. Haven't you ever been like that? In your, and you, you've gone out with friends and next thing you know, you just get this sense like, I should not be here. I need to get out of here. When you ever feel like that, listen and leave. Because what happens next is normally terrible. Something you don't want to be a part of. And other moments, like in worship not long ago, you have a sense of, wow, there's something different here right now. This is nice. This is amazing. Is that God? See, this transparent life where you're moving with the Spirit, you're listening to His voice, is all there for your good because God loves you. And when you find yourself in the ditch, and we all do from time to time, we need to own it. Because sometimes it helps us stay out of that ditch next week. And sometimes it helps others stay out of that ditch too. But if you, if you pretend that you've never driven into the ditch then other people will hit that same pothole or that same family of deer. Or Does this make sense? So when you find yourself off page, there are certain people you ought to share that with so that you don't find yourself there or they don't find themselves there. I think this is really tricky with teenagers and college students. When do you tell your children you're not perfect? Do you wait for them to make the same mistakes you made and then say, ha, runs in the family? Or do you preemptively tell them how terrible you really are and crush their dreams because they think you're little gods? That's big stuff. Chantel and I haven't learned how to do it perfectly. We're still learning. We've got two college age. We'll let you know how it's going. Probably in their 30s. But here's something that, that all the AA groups and A groups and, and groups will say is that you're only as sick as your secrets. And I think they're absolutely right about that. So if you have things that keep you up at night that you haven't shared with anybody and you're starting to doubt if you are really beloved, share that with somebody so you can be reminded. You are not worthless and useless. You are loved. You are wonderfully made because God made you. You did not make yourself. So release that. Get those other voices out of your head. Now, you may say, and maybe rightly so, that you don't have anybody in your life, really, that you can trust with that. And you might say, I don't even trust a therapist, or I tried therapy one time and it was terrible, I'm not going back. Okay. I mean, everybody, everybody gets to make your own decisions. One of the things that when I find myself in those places where I feel really, really stuck, the beautiful thing about our faith is, friends, and this is so easy to forget, 
there are millions of Christians that have gone before us, some of whom have known the Lord very, very well. And so you and I, in our historic family of faith, we get to include everybody that's gone before, and we get to learn from them. We actually get to read them. Now, some of it is harder to read than others, but it's there for you. You can learn what it is to walk closely with Jesus from from the writings of St. Francis or St. Benedict, Ignatius of Loyola, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, John Wesley, Dallas Willard, Eugene Peterson, Richard Foster, John Ortberg, Beth Moore. I mean, there are people who walk closely with the Lord, and they've actually written these things down. And you can actually read them, and more often than not, you can go, "Ah, that's not just me. Other people have experienced that. And what you'll find is generation after generation after generation, people have experienced the very things that we're experiencing. We're not alone, friends. Not by a long shot. So let's pray this prayer together. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. Those who cling to God will lack nothing. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. God alone is enough. Friends, that was written nearly 500 years ago. Still true today. We need that prayer. So, we've been using Jonah as a metaphor, as an example. And we're picking it up where we left off last week. So it's the Lord that provides a large fish. God's actually on the move, working. Jonah's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Chantel, help me see this. Uh, Anybody do the math on three days and three nights? That is 72 hours underwater in a fish before he's ready to pray. Anybody been there? This is the strong-willed child. I mean, he, he is... He is having no good, no fun for a good 72 hours. But even in that, God is faithful. And the scripture tells us that when he finally does come to his senses, when he finally does call, God answers. Isn't that amazing? Scripture says, I called the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. You heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. And all your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? And the waters closed in over me, and the deep surrounded me. This is my favorite line. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It takes seaweed around his head where he is choking it down before he decides, well, maybe I should talk to God about this. Man, I wish Jonah was the only one that gets himself there. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. You brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. And as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. (laughs) My prayer for you is that you remember him before that moment. For your own good and the good of those around you. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Now, in this entire exchange in Jonah, I want you to notice something. That God's voice does not argue with him. It just doesn't. God says, go to Nineveh. He doesn't. You don't hear anything else from the Lord. And when God speaks, things happen. The world changes. Big things happen when God is is moving. You know it's the Lord. And perhaps in one of the most ironic pieces of Scripture, the Lord speaks to the fish. 
and the fish can't even stomach Jonah. So he throws him up out on dry land at the exact place that he started. You don't have to listen to God, but it's very likely you'll find yourself back in the same spot in a couple of years. You've got to say, you don't have to listen, but you can try it again. Just try it again. With or without me, it's better with me. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oh, there it is. We have a God of second chances. It drives me crazy, friends, when people try to scare us into fate. It really does. Because God is consistent. God loves you. Now, at the risk of, of um, having harder conversations at lunch for your little ones, let me say it like this. I never want church to scare the hell out of you. I want the church to love heaven into you. That's what church is about, that you're to know Jesus in such a loving way that heaven comes to earth and then you continue that life into the next. We're not about a get out of burning coals card. That's not what we're about. It's not what Jesus was about. God comes to him a second time and he'll come to you a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. And he says, listen, get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it, to it the message that I tell you. You see the consistency, the directness? Doesn't argue. God's voice is direct. And in my life and the life of thousands of saints that have gone before me, I'm not calling myself a saint, but I have learned to hear his voice. God's voice carries a weight, a real weight beyond my own thought or other thoughts that may come to mind. And it's important that you know that. When God speaks, there's a weightiness to it. And, it, and you can't just dismiss it. It's, it's there, and you know it's there. And you know it's not from you. And it's loving, and it's firm, and it's direct. And it says, you are my beloved, and I am with you, and I see you. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Now, how do we do this in real life? One of the things that was opened up to me this week that I thought was really powerful, uh, and I want to share with you because it's true, that is that not all places are equal. There is sacred space. There is holy space. There, I think there may very well also be cursed space. And there are places in your life where it's just going to be hard to pray. It's going to be hard to find God. But what you may not know is that there are also places where thousands of people have prayed before you, where things have been consecrated to the Lord, where it's actually easy to find God, much easier than others. And one of those places is right here. For 1,064 weeks, either in this place or over at the chapel uh, or at other places around town, we've gathered and our people have come for communion each and every week, more than 1,000 times. Hundreds of people, thousands of weeks, hundreds of thousands of prayers right here in this place. And when you come, it's our prayer that, that it'll be easier for you to pray, be easier for you to receive God, talk to God, to be blessed by God, because it's holy ground. And I want you to know that whenever the church is open, pretty much Monday uh, through Thursday, regular hours, and then on Friday in the evenings for one church as well, you are welcome here to come and pray anytime, either in the chapel or here. I find that for me personally, I pray better right there than about anywhere else on campus. I don't know why, but that's just for me. That's just how it is for me. I'll have to go try that side sometime. But right there is really good for me. That's where I'm used to praying. That's where I'm used to meeting God. And I suppose that, that you may have a place 
that's easier for you to pray. And I want to recommend that. That's, that's not untrue. That's really true for you, for me. That may be in your backyard. That may be at your grandma's house. It, it may be a certain park. It may be at a cemetery. Wherever it is for you, I want you to know to go to a place to pray knowing that others have prayed there and that you're not alone. But not only does God love you and he's rooting for you, but there are others that have gone before us that love you and are rooting for you as well. It's called the communion of saints. We say it every week in the Apostles' Creed. You are loved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the way. You are truth itself. And you are life. We thank you for calling us again to be in relationship to you, with you, led by you, graced by you. And we thank you that you are a God of second chances. And that even when we're mad at you, you are not mad at us. And we thank you for teaching us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.